Hey, all right, here we are. I'm okay. You're okay. I'm not okay. Let's just keep not it there. Okay. Let's just, no, no, no. Let's okay. just, this is an I'm okay, you're okay episode. Oh, okay. We can start maybe like, yeah, but, we can start delineating the I'm two. I'm not, I'm not, but I'm not okay. You're not okay. No. All right. Of course not. How are you doing? I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it, really? Hey, everybody. Welcome to I'm okay, you're okay. I'm not okay. You're not okay. With me, Bob Schneider, and your other host, Clint Wells. You're welcome. Uh, I'm feeling pretty good, too. Hey, we got some emails. You want to dip into a couple of emails? Yeah, let's see what the uh, what the public has to say. You can write in bobandclint at gmail.com. We will read it on the show and talk about what you're saying. This one's from Matt, who says, Hey, guys, as songwriters, what do you do when you're writing a song and it sounds familiar in a way like you might be ripping off another song, but you're not sure if you really are? I go through this every time I write a song, and since I usually just use cowboy chords, I probably am, but I'm never able to figure out what the song sounds like. There's a million songs using the same open chords, and only so many progressions and pattern possibilities, right? Cheers, Matt. It does feel like everything under, I mean, everything under the sun seems like it's been done, but what makes it unique, right, is the melody and the lyric and the vibe. Yeah, there's, I feel like there's an unlimited number of things you can do. So, yeah, if it sounds familiar, then just move away from it. It's like uh it's like the stoves. Like writing writing a song is like moving through a room full of hot stoves. Now if you start feeling some heat because it starts sounding like something you've heard before, you move away from it. Or you can go touch touch it with your with your dick and then get a serious <laughs> blister on your dick, like a dick end blister which is the worst. Or avoid it and then Write your song, and then at the end, you'll have a nice, sweet dick that doesn't have any blisters on it. <laughs> hey, baby. What'd you do? Awesome. But I can't, I can't do anything. What do you mean you can't do anything? I'm like, I tried to click on this. Oh. Well, let's do this. Let's start the app over again. So Usually when you restart something, for some reason, especially when you're dealing with computers and technology, restarting it usually makes it work better. Let me go to the zoo. Yeah, yeah. Which one's the zoo? The farm? Mm-hmm. All right. Go do your thing. Have fun. All right. Well, okay. <laughs> Amazing, dude. Oh, man. They're just getting bigger, bigger and bigger every, every. My son was Did gone you for see five. That? Did you see her just then? Yeah, yeah. So he was gone for five weeks and he came back and he just looks like he's six foot tall, even though he only grew an inch and a half. And then he hadn't seen Scarlett in five weeks and he was like, Oh my God, she's so big. Like they just change yeah. and grow. It's so crazy how quickly it happens. Dude. I, you got to send me a picture of Luke. Cause I don't think I've seen Luke in four years maybe. And I bet he looks completely different, bro. Dude, you wouldn't I can't even... believe he's a teenager, dude. When I met Luke, he was my daughter's age. He's going into 10th grade. Unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And he's, dude, there's some 10th graders that look, that are taller than me that look like men. He, he still, yeah, yeah, yeah. like when he, at the house, he just looks huge because he's bigger than Laura. And so, and he's skinny. So he just looks really tall. But then you see him next to a, another 10th grader and, or, and he looks small again. Cause these kids are huge nowadays. Does he look the way you looked when you were in 10th grade? He looks like I looked when I was in 12th grade. The way he looks now okay. going into 10th grade is how I looked when I was going into 12th. 
because uh, I was I, I was him. five. I uh, he's five four and a half. I was five four when I graduated from high school. Do you remember when I went to a soccer game, or maybe it was a football game of his, and I was sitting by like a, an old grandmother, and me and the grandmother kind of fell in love. Do you? Remember yeah, that? you fell in love with. We were her. just having a conversation because she was a cute. First of all, she was super. She was super cute. She was cute. She was like sixty five, maybe. She was early sixties. Yeah. She was just, somewhere in there. She was just so cool and easy to talk to, and we just really hit it off. And it was like, man, I think I love this this chick. She loved you, and anyway. you loved her, and it made sense, dude. Right. Check this out. I was I did E Town. Have you ever done that show in Boulder? No. So I did E Town, a, 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 a venue. No, e Town's a show like a Prayer Home Companion or one of those or mountain oh, stage. Okay. No, I went and did the show. And then the, the, um, the husband wife team that do the show, he's a guitar player and she's a singer and they have a band and you play with them and they do an interview and all that stuff. It's really great. It's an awesome show. So they invited me over to their house afterwards. And while I was at their house, he started showing me these books that his mom had made who's deceased, but she had made these books and they were like, collage but then also poetry and you would turn the page and then be another stanza and then turn the page and and he had a picture of her and she's really beautiful it was when she was younger and dude i was looking at these books and reading this poetry and i completely fell in love with this lady who was dead Mm -hmm. yeah and i was just like oh this was the person that i was supposed to be with forever i'll do that with like I'll be watching old films, like especially these these girls in the seventies, and these aren't like quote unquote hot chicks, but like Madeline Kahn, um, Julie Christie. There's just like this group of actresses in the seventies that are in you know Brian De Palma films and stuff. Uh, um, Brooke Adams is one of them that I just completely fall in love with them, and then I'll like Google what they're up to now, and they're either real old, real, old. real weird looking, yeah. or real dead, and and I've it's that's a strange feeling. You ever do that? You ever fall in love with like Elizabeth Taylor from the sixties and Oh yeah. You know what I'm saying? Raquel Welch. Fuck yeah. Or oh, Jacqueline Bissett yes. from the seventies or Bridget Bordeaux. Yeah. I fall in love with all of those women. Me too, man, man. I love them. Like I really, like I love them in the way that I want to like take them on a date. I want to, I want to read poetry to them. I don't mean it in any gross way. Although I mean that also. Yeah. Dude, have you ever seen From <laughs> Dust Till Dawn? Hell yeah, dude. Selma Hayek? Selma. Dude, you didn't I didn't even have to say it. All I had to say, say was from Dust Till Dawn, and you knew what I was talking about. Selma Hayek. Well, you're talking to a guy that's that knows a lot about horror movies and a lot about Quentin Tarantino films. Good God, dude. Selma I know. Hayek. I know. I'm with you. And How dude, she was she was she was she was eighteen, and she's on the set with the sharks. It was a it was oh, a yeah. tank it was a tank full of sharks, and Salma Hayek. You got was Robert the, Rodriguez. You got what, George Clooney. You, you got, got Quentin Tarantino. You got all of them. They're all there, and they're just like you got Harvey Keitel, Danny. Dude, Trejo. they're all just fucking circling, circling. Oh yeah. Blood and, in the water, homie. Oh yeah, and I guarantee <laughs> there was blood in the water after that movie, for sure. Who put the chum in the water? Is there chum in here? <laughs> <laughs> she was the chum, dude. 
They didn't chum free. How about chum? Anyway, the thing about songwriting, it made it reminded me of uh I remember in the song game when you wrote Montgomery, I don't remember what the phrase was, but I was right. in the song game then. I think I was actually in Austin with you and you were we don't have to say who it was, but you were really worried that it was a ripoff of a an existing song. And I was like, Oh, okay. And then I was like, well, let me hear it. It didn't sound anything like that song. Well, I do have this thing that it's 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 a great thing where I think something sounds like something and then I'll check it out and I'm like, oh yeah, that doesn't sound like it. But if somebody plays me right. a song that they've written, I always know if it sounds like a song I've heard, I'll know it like immediately. It, it doesn't, it, it sometimes takes me a minute to figure out which song it is, but I'm really good at it. And one of my biggest pet peeves is when somebody writes a song that becomes a hit and it sounds like another song. I'm just like, oh, that's fucked up. Ray LaMontagne has never had a hit that didn't sound like another song. Guaranteed, he's had to do co-writes on every hit because it's a different, he just stole it from another song. My sure. apologies to Ray LaMontagne if he's a fan of the show. Yeah, I mean, when I'm writing songs that are definitely going to be on someone's record or have a chance of having some sort of success like that, it's way more important to me that it not be derivative. But for the most part of my own personal writing, which is truly personal, the only people that hear my songs are you and the people in our song groups. They really are just personal creative exercises. It's really fun for me to approximate a song I love because some songs make me feel magical. Right. And it'll just be, sometimes it's the lyric, sometimes it's just the way the drums sound, sometimes it's this weird ache in the way that it all sounds. Right. And I will think to myself, I want to make that. I want to make a song for me that makes me feel that way when I listen to it. And yeah. half the time I don't achieve that, but that's the goal. And then how, sometimes I do achieve it where I made a thing that made me feel the way the song I love makes me feel. And that to me is a personal accomplishment. I, I do think now you have been writing songs for many years now, but I do mm -hmm. think that the first 10 years that I wrote songs, a lot of the songs that I wrote, was just me trying to write a song that I liked. So like I, I wrote a lot of songs that sound like Tom Waits, or if I go out and see a band, I'd immediately go home and go, I'm going to write a song like that. And I feel like right. that's a really important thing to do. And I feel like you're kind of doing that now. Like even last week you wrote a song cause you were like listening to folklore. And then the song that you yeah, wrote, I was like, like Oh, this sounds just like one of the folklore songs. Um, yeah, except totally much, was a much better. Much better than folklore. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I don't think mine is as good as folklore, but yeah, it was, it did sound exactly like that. But that's, I mean, I, and I do that too. Like, I mean, I'll write a, if I hear something, I don't necessarily try to emulate it, but there is something about, like, if I, like, for instance, like when that Billy Eilish record came out, I'm like, oh, I'm going to do some stuff where I like just don't put in any drums for like a, a verse or chorus. I'm not yeah, going to try right. to sound like her necessarily, but I'm going to do some of the techniques that, she does or her brother did so so i definitely that's what do i that. think's mature about it that's what i that i think that's you bringing a lot of your maturity to what we're talking about is an immature expression of what we're talking about is i'm gonna go bar by bar and do what they did oh oh and, and bad guy it's a it's a baseline with just a four on the four kick i'm gonna write a song like that what do they do in the second verse? Oh, they open up the hi-hat. I'm going to do that. That's the immature version. I've never written songs like that. Well, but some people do, and I have. I'm like, how did they, to, for me to get inside of it, I'm like, how did they do it? How did, like, what happens bar by bar in I Won't Back Down by Tom Petty? Because I want to understand as a songwriter, especially a songwriter who writes commercially for other people, what's so cool about that song? 
But I think the mature way to do that is to take the feeling that gets evoked from that song, like you're saying about Billy, and instead of just ripping it off, you're you're more just emulating the what it achieves emotionally. And sometimes that means like less drums or whatever. I just don't I just don't think I don't think it helps. Like no just knowing like I, I think any time you know anything, like anytime I know anything about what I'm doing songwriting wise, it doesn't help me. Because knowledge, yeah, we've talked, yeah, yeah, right, and and same with art. So like, I started painting, like I guess two years ago now, maybe. I don't know when anything happened anymore, but at some point in the last two years, I I just started. I wanted to do some oil paintings, and so I made a challenge with with another artist friend of mine that I would do a painting a week, and I was like, I don't know what to paint, so I just started painting these old masters like Matisse and Hopper and. Uh, Picasso and Van Gogh. And so I, I painted them and, and it was fun painting these paintings, but I didn't, I didn't learn anything in terms of like what I should paint. Like it didn't help me figure out what I need to do uh, for my own art, just like covering songs or learning what other songs are and how they work. It doesn't help you create your own music. I don't think it does. Yes. Yeah. And it's, it's similar to a lot of people when they first start doing something, they're super derivative because they're trying to figure out what their voice is. And if you never, like when I first started writing poetry, it was just basically me trying to be Charles Bukowski right. without the insane muscle he has. Like that thing he does, people who don't, who don't really know his work don't understand that he has thousands and thousands of poems that are just his muscle for what he did was so legit. And he's got thousands and thousands of poems that haven't even been published yet. His wife and estate put out a new book of three to 500 poems every year since he died in 94. And that muscle is just insanely there. And he did it for decades. So my little feeble shit was like, Ooh, I, I like the Bukowski thing. So I would do that. And then you, what you have to do is make the leap out of that into what your own thing is. The thing that Bukowski does that's so, because you look at it and you go, well, I think I could do that. And right, like right, recently exactly. I've been writing, recently I've been reading this uh, book of poetry called All of Us by uh, Raymond Carver, who definitely is, he's, he's in the top five of my favorite poets ever. He, he's so good, such a great writer. And he wrote a poem about being at a party with Charles Bukowski in the style of Charles Bukowski. Mm. And he did it effortlessly. And it kind of exposed how easy what Charles Bukowski does is well, to, to, somebody, to somebody like Raymond Carver. Now, the problem, with, the problem with, with writing like Charles Bukowski is the, the way he wrote, the style that he used, the sort of blunt, easy to understand language all that was was just a way for him to get his thoughts and feelings and opinions on paper. What makes those poems special is his brain and his view of the world. Mm, yeah. And that yes, I, only Bukowski has that. I think it's a combination of that. You're exactly right. It was, it's like his crazy perspective that is a sum total of his insane experiences. He didn't really start writing poetry until his late 40s. He lived a crazy life. But it's also... And I think you're like this, but it's also his 
his consistency. It's one thing to be like, be like, oh, I'm in a Bukowski phase or I'm going to approximate a Bukowski poem. It's just about being at the racetrack and being a drunk and having sex with a prostitute and reading class and reading Camus. You could take all the, uh, he loved Hemingway and he loved Celine. Okay, I could write a, a, a frank, blunt poem about sex and reading Celine and falling asleep and reading and the books are hitting the floorboards. But he wrote about, he wrote with that perspective for decades and he would just write thousands of poems that would never even get read. When he was first trying to get his book deal, he would send hundreds of poems to publishers without making any copies. And they would reject his poems and never send them back. They're just gone. It's like, you, you've you told me before, how many songs do you have that just never really got demoed or they're lost that are just gone? But you wrote them. Yeah, for the first 10 years that I was writing songs, a lot of songs got written. And the way I would write was I would just make them up with the band. And then if we didn't play them, they'd, they'd just be lost. Um to time. And I bet you have a lot of fans that would fucking kill to hear those songs, have a recording of those. Yeah. I mean, maybe they're good. Maybe they're not. I Probably they're not my best work. And who knows what those early poems by Bukowski were like. He does talk a lot about how his dad beat. I, yeah. wish, I, could, I wish I could think of the exact word he uses because it's such a crucial part of his writing. There's just no... There's this cuteness that a lot of writers have where they're trying to be clever. They're trying to be cute or clever or fancy or decorative or I can't think of the exact word. But he said his dad beat that out of them. So his poems don't have any of that. They're just direct. They're not sentimental. Yeah. No, they're just, he's just saying what he's seeing and what, what he's doing. And it's that's so hard to do. Without all that other shit. You'll have to send me that Raymond Carver poem. I would love to read it. So good. Dude, that book, all of the, well, you should just get the book, all of us. It's just his collected poetry. So he, he got sober. He died when he was 50. I think he got sober sometime in his early forties. And that's when he really started writing poetry in earnest. And he put out all his poetry in those last, that last eight years that he was alive and it's so good, dude. It's just, it's it's like his his short stories is what he's famous for. And his short stories are great. But these are like short, short, short stories. They're just amazing. Anyway, he's great. It's worth getting. Okay, cool. Um, we got one more email here that sort of ties into what we're talking about. This is from someone named JP. And he actually says, no need to read this on the show, but I do want to read it on the show. It's a quick note of thanks. He says, gents, here's what I'm not going to do. Tell you that you've got to check out my record, which we thank you for. He says, here's what I am going to do. I'm going to thank you for inspiring me to write, record, and release my first record at the tender age of 45. Oh, yeah. For being an inspiration to create, for taking and responding to my questions, for discussing the process of self-doubt, and for grinding, keeping it real, and doing the dang thing. Means a lot to a lot of people. Be safe and well. Well, dude, JP, it's so cool to hear that the podcast helped encourage you to create to create a record and express yourself and and uh congrats on getting that out there in the world, dude. That's no joke. A lot of people talk a lot of shit about the things they want to do and they never do it. Most right. people don't do anything. But you at age 45 did a thing that people dream of doing and never do. So, I think that's cool, dude. I think it is too. I think it's great. Like just do do it. Whatever it is, whatever you want to do. I dude, yeah. I just started cooking recently. Just started cooking and uh hmm. 
am starting to actually enjoy it. I've never enjoyed it. And now I'm like, oh, this is another art form, cooking. It's It's funny that you and I haven't talked about this, but I've been doing the same exact thing to try to help my family and really getting into it, really having a good time. Yeah. It's just like writing a song. What are you cooking? Well, so I subscribed to ButcherBox. So they, so I get yeah, sent, I sent all this, get sent all this meat every six weeks. Yeah. And so I have to kind of go through, and I don't know what half this shit is. Dude, beef tri-tips? I didn't know what the fuck that was. So then I'm like, what the fuck is this? And so you go on and they have these recipes, shows you how to make it. It's all easy, real easy to make. And uh, so then I've been cooking that because nobody else is cooking in this family. I'm the only one. So it's funny that you've, <laughs> it's funny that you've never really taken an interest in it when one of your close friends is a very famous chef, very famous cooking person. Yeah. Yeah. We're great friends with Rachel and her husband, uh, Rachel Ray and her husband, John. But again, you know, I know some act, I mean, yeah, it's, it's just something I've never, I've never thought about doing or been interested in. But then once you start doing it, it's pretty cool and pretty fun. And, and uh, it's very interesting because you can kind of get lucky and, and create something that's amazing. And then it's, it's like, it's like anything where sometimes you get lucky and it's like, wow, this is great. But most of the time it's like, ah, that could be better. Got a little overdone or a little underdone. It's fun. I like well, it. cool. We probably got about another 10 minutes to do just to make sure we're tight and right. So, and then I've got to write it too. So hold up. Um, Zip. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Oh, you know what, dude? We do have an older email, but I, I thought about maybe not reading it because it involves a picture, but let's just get into this. Okay. Tef- right. Tiffany Klapis writes, young Bobby is the subject, by the way. Nice. She says, I've been listening to a new podcast about the murder of Jennifer Cave that happened around the UT campus in 2005. It's called The Orange Tree. Everyone in Austin was following it when it happened. It reminded me how I thought at the time the guy's mugshot looked like young Bobby, thought I would share. And dude, she posted this picture of this dude, Uh, and it looks like you, bro. (laughs) It looks like you, dude. What's the guy's name? Let me forward it to you. All right. She doesn't say his name, but it's, it's... it's a uh, the the murder is the victim was named Jennifer Cave, and the podcast is called The Orange Tree. Uh, Doesn't ring a bell. I'm gonna. It's not ringing. It's not ringing the murder bell. <laughs> not ringing the murder bell, huh? All right, I just forwarded it to you. So check your email. This dude's like wearing the straight up classic black and white striped prison suit, but with a deep V. All right, look at this email of this picture of young Bobby the murderer. Murderville, Murder City. No, that doesn't look like me, but that looks like somebody that I know. Yeah, it's in your the guy in your mirror? The man in the mirror? No, that looks like That's somebody you, else that I know. That was Dude, in Austin? I feel like, like I know you. that guy. 2005. Guy? I f- I Dude, I What's... I feel like I know that guy. Jennifer Cave murderer. What's his name? Schneider comes up. Murder of Jennifer Cave. Here we go. The most infamous West Campus crime. Perpetrator and accomplice. Colton Aaron Petoniak was a finance major at the University of Texas at Austin. Colton Petoniak. Do you know this person? I don't. I mean, he just looks familiar. But, I mean, shit. That's like the scabs were really big in the early 2000s. I was pretty big in the early 2000s. I mean, this guy was probably coming to shows. 
I've pr- I, he looks familiar to me. Hmm. That guy looks like somebody that I've seen before. It's weird. And he just keep. How did he kill this girl? What what happened? The murder on August sixteenth. Cave and Petoniak went to the Sixth Street in downtown Austin to celebrate Cave's new job. They went to dinner before Cave was murdered. So I guess this was maybe her boyfriend. He died in her apartment at the Orange Tree Condominiums at twenty five twenty nine Rio Grande Street in West Campus, Austin, Texas. As far as the murders go, this is very clean murder. He shot her through the arm. The bullet traveled into the chest through the heart, pretty much killing her instantly. It was the post-murder behavior that made it so grotesque. The mutilation was anger. It wasn't any effort to hide the body or get rid of the body, just playing with it like it was a toy. Oh, Jesus. Her body had been partially dismembered, many stab wounds. A hacksaw had been placed on her abdomen. After her death, she had been shot in the head once. Toxicology tests concluding that during her death, Cave had alcohol, marijuana, and methamphetamine in her system. Jesus. Wow. Wow. You don't remember this uh, murder being a thing in Austin? No. The only murder that I remember happening in Austin was this yogurt shop murders, which were supposedly they were so horrifying. They wouldn't release any of the details of the, of the deaths of the girls. But I don't think that's ever been, I don't think it's ever been solved. That was like in the late nineties, mid nineties. I don't know exactly when. Yeah. It's 1991 Austin yogurt shop murders. Yeah. Uh, open hop is still an open case in Austin, Texas. Right. On Friday, December 6, 91, the yogurt shop was robbed and set afire after four teenage girls were murdered inside it. Holy shit. Dude, are we going to uh, get, are we going to get 300,000 subscribers? Cause we've just started our own yeah, murder podcast right. because people would love for us to talk about murders. Dude, they would, people fucking love that shit, dude. Maybe we should change the title to I'm okay. You're okay. You're not okay. Cause you're dead. Cause you got murdered podcast the original investigation spanned eight years two dudes initially confessed to the quadruple slang were thereupon tried and convicted however they were released in 2009 for lack of evidence holy shit 18 18 years later no new charges have been filed local media coverage remains ongoing as of 2016 austin's police department's cold case unit continues to pursue the identity of an unknown male using dna found on the youngest of the victims how about that how about dna evidence coming back to haunt your ass 25 years later that'd be great years later i would love for that person to go to jail think about that the person who did it is is out free they got away with it 30 years i just feel like if that's the type of person that you are where you're just going and murdering and and fucking people up like that there's no way you're not going to keep doing that you're just going to always do that. You're that. That's the thing about people. People are a certain type of people. They're not like one way once and then never like that again. They're either that way and they're that way always or they're not. So that person. I agree with you, but definitely has been arrested and in jail for murdering other people. But people take weird extended breaks. Like I think there's like over a decade gap in Jeffrey Dahmer. Uh, between some of his killings. I know, but I feel like the first killing that he did was like accidental. Like the first time he killed somebody was kind of accidental. His first murder was in 78, three weeks after his graduation, living alone, family home. He picked up a hitchhiker who was almost 19. He lured him to his house. They started drinking. Uh, after several hours of drinking music, they I think they were having some sexy time and Dahmer bludgeoned them to death. Hold Dahmer up, had this hold, whole hold thing up real quick. Zip. Zip. He had this whole thing where he didn't want these dudes to leave him. So right. he would often kill them to keep them from leaving. And then he, man, he would even go on to 
try to give them these lobotomies to turn them into human zombies so he could keep them alive so they would never leave. He would drill holes in their head and pour like acid into their fucking brains, dude. It's so weird that there are people <laughs> like amazing. that on the earth. I know. Dude, God damn. That's all my wife watches is ID channel, which is investigation discovery. It's all murders. And I'm always just like, how do people make these choices with their lives? Like, it's so crazy to me. Dude, I'm like, I'm like, if I'm like going 37 miles an hour in a 30 mile an hour zone, I'm like freaking out. Like you don't, you don't want to, you're freaking out that you're doing something wrong. You don't want to get pulled over and deal with it. Yeah. Dude, I'm telling you, if I get, for instance, like if I'm buying groceries now, this is granted six months ago, but if I'm buying groceries and there's something in my cart, you know, sometimes you, like something will get left in your cart and it doesn't get put in the bag or whatever. If I go outside and there's something in my cart that I didn't buy, I go back in and have them ring it up because I can't deal with the fact that like, oh, uh, this is going to somehow come back to haunt me if I don't pay for this, if I don't pay for this, for these dish rags that didn't get rung up. But you're also the kind of guy, and I know this about you because we've talked about this a lot. And we can end on this. Uh, you're the kind of guy where even if you could get away with it, you know that you wouldn't really get away with it because you have a lot of integrity. You have a lot of integrity about living with your own self and you would rather just go go back in and pay for the fucking thing than have to live with it, even if no one knew. Well, that's the thing. Like the thing that I've learned in my life is you, there's, you can't get away with anything. So even like, let's say right. if you're married and then you say, hey, I'm not gonna have sex with anybody but then you do go have sex with somebody what you end up having you you end up losing the relationship you have with your wife because now you're lying to her about who you are and you know that you're lying and she doesn't know who you are and now you're dating a, now you're married to a stranger and the relationship goes away once you realize that it stops all the behavior and same with with everything with eating like i'm like you can't i'm not getting away with shit when i go crack that smart food bag of popcorn later on tonight, which I'm going to do. It's going to come back to haunt me. I'm not getting away with anything. You just, there's no getting away with anything in life. You think you can. Now I will say this, that doesn't include psychopaths. If you're a psychopath, you can kind of get away with stuff. And, and they've proved like they've done this research that a lot of like CEOs and people that run these giant companies are psychopaths or sociopaths at the very least where they just don't have right, a they're conscience. Missing, they're missing empathy. They're missing empathy. They, yeah. They're unable to, to, yeah. The older I get, I do believe that that is a variable that humans have, which there's a group of people that have empathy for other people. And then a group of people that just is unable to imagine somebody else going through something that yep. they're not going through. And I, I think that's a real thing. Well, we hope you out there in IOK land are in the, the empathetic category. We appreciate you listening. You can leave us the review. You can listen to our other podcasts. You know what they are. You can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash the letters IOK. And you're going to get a lot of cool little nuggets over there, including bonus content called The Secret Weekly. All right. Here's the main, here's the main reason you should do it, by the way. Are you laughing? Are you, are you listening to, have you, all right. If this is the only show you've listened to and you're not going to listen to anymore, don't, don't go on Patreon. But if you're listening to more than four of these, 
if you've listened to more than four shows, then, hey, it's time to pay up. Go to Patreon. <laughs> I'm serious. Go to patreon.com backslash IOK and do the right thing. Give us your money. <laughs> I'm not even joking. Because guess what? Our time is valuable and you know it just like your time is valuable. So do the right thing and pay up. Now, you're going to get some cool stuff. You'll get the secret weekly. You'll get a bunch of songs. You'll get all the video footage of stuff we've done. You'll get postcards eventually. You'll get you'll get some other stuff. But really, do the right thing. It's time to pay up. Nothing's free. Nothing's free. And on that note, we'll go ahead and split and say peace. And we are so grateful for your support. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.